You shouldn't have to spend hours tailoring a resume. It really should be reviewing that job description, comparing it to what you have written, and then you're doing essentially a reconciliation. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Shelly, how's it going? Oh, it's going well, Max. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's been a while. Like We've connected for, I think, over two years. We met on LinkedIn. We support on each other's content. And then I started my podcast venture. And you, which we're going to talk about later, you got a new certification that I do want people to know about in terms of providing career clarity. And then you're coming on my podcast to talk about that and helping people with the job search. So in a way, it comes full circle where we're like, we first met each other on LinkedIn. And now we're supporting each other's endeavors. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. So for people who don't know you on LinkedIn or are not familiar with your content, why don't you tell us a little bit about your HR recruiting experience in terms of hiring people and working with hiring managers to help them fill positions? Significant part of my career was in recruiting solely or later in my career, recruiting was part of my HR responsibilities. So I've been doing it for a long time. I went and transitioned to be a career coach in 2020. So I'm taking all of the knowledge that I had from doing that for so long and hiring for employers to help job seekers. I worked in a lot of different industries where I was a recruiter and I have recruited really anything from entry level hourly employees up to senior executives and in most areas of a company. So I'm very familiar with IT, finance, customer service, all of that. I've worked on it. And we can't talk about the recruiting process or career coaching without talking about the resume. So what are some common resume mistakes that you've seen throughout your career filling roles? Well, there's a lot. (laughs) People are well-meaning, but they write the resume often thinking what they want to talk about on the resume. And that's a problem because you always have to think about your audience. What do they need to know about you? So it's not about what you want to say. It's what they need to know about you. So when you start with that idea, then you will generally construct your resumes a little bit differently because you will say, okay, what do I offer that is of value to this employer? How can I put that in words that they can quickly understand? Because recruiters do look through resumes quickly to understand what I can bring to the table. So that is, for me, probably the main issue that I find with most resumes. Is it really six seconds a recruiter looks at a resume or is that just common myth that's been plastered all over the internet? Now, there's supposedly studies that do say that. I would say that I was a little bit longer than that. I actually tested myself when I saw that survey to see how I do in terms of my first review. Mine was longer than that, but I won't say it was like five minutes. It wasn't even close to that. What 
Recruiters are doing because we know the responsibilities of the job. We know what we're looking for. We can quickly go through a resume to see if that person meets the minimum requirements of what we're looking for. And so that's generally very quick that a recruiter can do that. Now, often, and what I would do is kind of do a quick review, kind of have my yes, maybe, and no pile. And then I would go back and do a longer review. And just to make sure I'm understanding everything that's going on, qualifying that person, and then making a decision based upon all that information of who I will move forward in the process. For you checking off the no pile, which is they obviously don't fit the requirements, what's the difference between a maybe resume and a yes resume? So generally, a yes resume would be they have the vast majority of the requirements for the job. So that could be obvious skills, experience, industry knowledge, technical skills. It could be anything like that. The maybes are generally, they have some of that, but they don't have as much as the yes people. And so you have to make a judgment call that maybe does that person have enough of what you're looking for that it is worth the time to go ahead and do a phone interview, a screening call, whatever, to figure out if they would be a good fit. So a lot of the yes and maybe will be how much the recruiter understands about the role and the conversations that they've had with the hiring manager or hiring team for what they are looking for. That all goes into the assessment of, you know, moving forward or just kind of keeping them in that maybe pile. And during the screening process with screening those resumes, do you always refer back to the job description you wrote to ensure that it's aligned to what you're looking for when you look at a resume? Well, I wrote a lot of job descriptions in my career as an HR. So you should always go back to that because that should be the working document that you are using to assess your candidates, right? So, you know, the job description, and as I said, wrote a lot of them, should be in different parts. So, like, obviously, we see in job descriptions, you know, what are the essential functions of the job? Why do we have this role? What is this person going to be doing that is of value to the organization? So that should be a somewhat comprehensive list. Now, we do know that some of that list are going to be you know, very, very important and some are going to be less important. So a recruiter wants to know what are the priorities of that. Since I wrote the job descriptions, had all that information, when I was recruiting, I did know that. I didn't need to ask that question, but oftentimes recruiters are not doing the job description. So they need to have discussions with the hiring manager to understand what are their priorities, right? Then you have obviously the requirements section. So requirements are what that hiring manager believes that is needed for someone to be successful at that job. And so that's where you're going to have 
educational requirements. It may be experience. There may be soft skills, technical skills. There are a bunch of things that they will think is important. Now, what tends to happen is hiring managers will think of anything and everything for the requirements. Because obviously, if someone had all of that, they should be really good at the job. So they're thinking, oh, yeah, they should have this and they should have that. Sometimes, especially if they've had a person who struggled in the role and they're redoing the job description, they will emphasize skills, experience that potentially the person who wasn't successful didn't have to ensure that the next person has that. So these are some of the information that the recruiter needs to understand as they're doing their review. So what I would do is I would know what are the must-haves that this hiring manager believes are absolutely positively they have to have. And then there's usually some want to have or nice to have. And so that also can go into whether that person goes into a yes pile or a maybe pile. To go back to what you said about like the hiring manager wants this, oh, I want this, I want that. It goes back to how job descriptions are more for finding that perfect candidate than finding the most qualified because there is a difference, right? So in terms of your experience, what's your recommendation when it comes to a professional looking at this job? How much do they need in the job ad to be qualified to apply? And they're not wasting their time applying for the role. Okay. So that's always a big question because sometimes you don't know right? What they think they being that future employer is going to prioritize, right? I usually tell my clients that as a general rule and with my personal experience, having written a lot of job ads, which are often just based on the job description, that, you know, what tends to be at the top tends to be the more important things. Because we as humans just kind of prioritize that way. So when you do a job ad, you just kind of put it down that way. So if you have 75 to 80%, that's pretty good. That's pretty solid. So I think that's a great place to apply. If you have less than that, then I wouldn't necessarily discourage you to apply because you just never know if your combination of skills and experience and knowledge is going to be what they look for. But I would also tell you that, you know, don't put all your eggs in that basket because you don't know who is applying for this job, who your competition is. And likely if you have less of what the requirements are, there's somebody else who probably has more. And so you're in competition with them. So you just have to be aware of that and then decide if you are willing to put in the effort to tailor your resume and do the things that you need to do to be competitive. That often is whether you really want this job. So you have to make that decision. Now, if you have, I don't know, half of the requirements, I'm going to say that's a big if. Because likely what's going to happen is the hiring manager, if they don't see that you have what they need, instead of hiring just anybody, they will likely continue looking until they find 
the person with the right combination uh, requirements. So again, you can do it, but I would tell you your chances probably are not great that you will move forward. After this discussion here, so for anybody who's listening and has tried to apply for jobs on LinkedIn, you'll see the number of applicants that have applied for the job, right? And it could go up to like mm-hmm. three, 400. But for me speaking to recruiters, other hiring managers, and I think we talked about this offline before, a lot of the people that apply for these jobs are not actually qualified. So even though it's like three, 400, there might be only like 10 to 20 that would actually be considered for an interview. Obviously, that will also get shortlisted as well. But the percentage is very low of actual qualified candidates. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, my experience having been a recruiter is that's accurate because it's very easy for people to apply. I mean, for some applications, processes, it's five minutes. So a lot of people will say, well, what the heck? Let's do that. And so there are a lot of people who will apply that as a recruiter, I've scratched my head because I would be like, how in the world did you think you could do this job? Because at the end of the day, you have to do the job and you have to do it well to keep the job. So it's like, I don't see you being successful with what you can bring. So yes, I would say that that's why when people are like, well, a recruiter only spends six seconds looking at the resume. I mean, they can look through it very quickly and tell whether you have what's relevant for the job, you know? And so that comes to play in that a lot of people are not really that well qualified for the job. And so it makes the recruiter's job pretty simple to then make that assessment. And when it comes to quickly looking at a resume, six seconds or around that, when you first open the document, do you go straight to the work experience? Because from what I've seen, a lot of people are trying to make like visually appealing resumes uh, with like charts and stuff or like longer executive summaries. Like you'll look at the other stuff later on, but the main focus is the work experience when you first open the document, right? Yes, I would agree with that. Because as a recruiter, your first job is to figure out if the person meets the minimum requirements of the job. Okay, so the minimum requirements of the job are not usually in the professional summary. They're in your experience section, your education section, maybe certifications, some other stuff. So you're going to look through that first to say, okay, does this person meet? Okay, and then, yes, that information, that other information will be important you know, when the recruiter is then taking a deeper dive into that resume and understanding more about the person and the skills that they bring, etc. But initially, yes, most recruiters will go straight to the experience section to understand what this person brings to the role. Going back to the discussion of resume mistakes, do you see different resume mistakes for like entry to mid-level professionals compared to more like VP senior or they all fall under the same categories of resume mistakes? Well, it's kind of interesting because you see the same things really at all levels. Now, what you see at the junior level is kind of just more basic resume mistakes, which is maybe missing some information because they don't necessarily maybe have more accomplishments. So they tend to just take the job description and put that in there as a proxy for that. 
And those are the kind of things that you see, or it's kind of, let me call it sparse, let me put it that way. When you go up the ranks and seniority, what you tend to see more is people tend to get more lengthy in what they write about, which in some ways makes sense because they have more experience, but sometimes they don't do a good job of editing out some of the experience that may not be relevant. And then also at higher levels, sometimes because they've been in their career a long time and potentially maybe they haven't been in the job market that long. When I say long, maybe their last job, they've been a while. And so they don't know much about modern resumes. And so they can often use formats that are dated that, you know, we wouldn't use now. So those are types of things that I would see at the various levels. All right. I want to touch upon this very briefly. The debate of cover letters. <laughs> Do recruiters actually read them? Do you suggest people write them if it's optional? I know some job ads, they say is required or they say, please no cover letters, but the ones that don't say anything, what's your thoughts on the cover letter? I have some opinions <laughs> on that. Did I always read the cover letter? And I'll be honest, no. And here's the reason. I needed to be efficient in what I did, right? So I only have so much time in the day. And, you know, when you're going through a requisition that has 200, 300 people in it, you're trying to get through that as quickly as possible to make your selections about who to move for. So what would happen is when I went through and you were a no, I'm not reading your cover letter. This was me. I wasn't reading your cover letter because from a time, use of my time, it wasn't helpful. Okay. Now, if you were a maybe, then often I would read your cover letter because maybe there's additional information in there that would be helpful to deciding whether to move you forward or not. So I would. And then with the yes, I've already decided I would move them forward, but I wanted to see what they wrote in case there was something there that was of concern, something that they needed to tell me that was special that I should be aware of before I get on the phone with them or move them to the hiring manager. Okay. Because here's the thing. I didn't want to ever give something to a hiring manager. When I say something, a packet for them that I hadn't read every document in it because I don't want any surprises that they said, did you know that so-and-so had this? And I'd be like, Hmm, didn't read that. No, that's a bad look. So I wanted to make sure to do that. The problem with cover letters is most people construct them as a duplicate of the information on their resume. That's not helpful to anybody because we've already read your resume, right? So telling us the same thing doesn't give us any more information. And that's frankly why I think a lot of recruiters don't read them just as a matter of principle because they feel like I've read many and I don't see they're of value. What's a little bit different, they could be of value, but I would tell people who are candidates that you need to really explain to the reader why this job, this role is a good fit and what you bring to this role that the recruiter, the hiring manager is going to think of value. 
the way the resumes are constructed, the information is rather brief on there. And sometimes with a cover letter, you can explain a little bit more. Obviously, if you're doing a career pivot, it's a good place to explain why, because it's going to be one of the questions that anyone who reads your resume is going to ask themselves. If there's anything that you think might be a red flag on your resume, it's a place to address it too, because you want the readers to be able to understand what had happened and not make assumptions. So those would be you know, special cases where you especially want to have a cover letter to help with your narrative. But in general, if you want to do a cover letter, just make sure that it provides value for the reader. Okay, how about this question? Would you look down upon a candidate who did not submit a cover letter? Okay, I'm trying to remember, but it was a significant percentage of people that I looked at who did not provide cover letters. And if they were qualified for the job, as determined by my assessment, I would move them forward without a cover letter. I don't think in my time as a recruiter, I ever required one, okay? Now, I also had some hiring managers, not all of them, but some that were very, very interested in the cover letters. And for them, not having a cover letter was not a disqualification, but they were especially interested in it. And therefore, they would, in their mind, give a little bit more interest to those that provided one. But that was not all hiring managers. Some didn't care one way or the other. So when people say about cover letters, should you do it? Should you not do it? The thing about it is you don't know in your particular situation where the recruiter or where the hiring team falls on them, you know, unless you know for sure, because you've talked to people in that organization and they say, don't bother doing it because we never read them, you know, you don't know. So generally, it's better to err on the side of having one than not, in my opinion. So in terms of the discussion here, the bottom line is you should always write one because you have no idea whether they want one or not. So the flight safe, you just have to write one regardless of what the statistics say. Yes, but I'm going to say if you're going to have one, write a decent one because having one that's not written well, that doesn't really address what I've talked about, is almost the same as not having one at all. <laughs> you know, It's not helpful really to the reader. Yeah, I think a lot of people who don't like writing cover letters write a basic one or like their main template and all they do is they just change the name and company and then send it right. And that doesn't help anybody. Right, exactly. And then quickly, in regards to LinkedIn, I know a common thing a lot of professionals are doing is they're providing a LinkedIn link on their resume. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but recruiters do look at candidates' uh, LinkedIn profiles if they're interested in that candidate, right? So what's your recommendation? Like, is it necessary to put the LinkedIn link on the resume? Obviously, you want to make sure it's updated before you do that. But what's your thoughts on that? I think as long as you have a decent LinkedIn profile, that, that's a plus for you. Because remember, LinkedIn is a little bit more, not casual, I don't mean that, but they allow you more narrative in LinkedIn. So it is a way to tell your story in a different way than in your resume. And it's a way for a person to learn more about you. And so I think 
as long as you feel like your LinkedIn is written that it highlights, you know, your achievements, the things that you bring to the job, maybe a little bit about your career and why you're doing what you're doing, or if you are wanting to change what's happening there. I think that can be helpful for the recruiter and the hiring manager just to know a little bit more about you. So yeah, putting that link in there on the resume just makes it easier for your readers to find that information. And if they really want to look at your LinkedIn profile, they would search for it anyway. So just having the link there makes it easier, right? And more convenient. Well, that's another part, which is they can certainly look at it. So why not, you know, just have it on there and make it easier for them. Great. I want to move to the next part of our conversation in terms of like, career clarity. So as you know, with the great resonation and a lot of people are shuffling for new opportunities, you've recently been certified in UMAP, correct? Is that what it's called? Yes, it's yeah. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about that as well as what do you find a lot of challenges that you have with your clients when it comes to like they know that they don't want to do what they're doing right now, but they don't know how to get to the next level or what they do want to do in their career in their next chapter. Yeah, I have a lot of clients who are maybe mid-career. So they have experience, they may have followed a path, and then I think the pandemic especially made a lot of people reevaluate many aspects of their life, but part of that was their career. And they look at what they're doing and they don't feel connected to it. Doesn't mean that they're not good at what they're doing, but it doesn't light them up. It doesn't particularly make them happy. And then, of course, there are some people who are in situations that is really more detrimental to them. So less neutral, but they're just not thriving in that organization. So they've been doing this for a while and now they don't know what else to do. They only know that they don't want to do what they've been doing. So UMAP is a really powerful program to help individuals get career clarity. So UMAP involves really understanding the four principles, or they call the pillars, of success in a job. So the first pillar is all about your strengths. And these are, you know, the things that you make as a priority in your life. So these are intrinsic to you, and you have different combinations of strengths, but you really want to use these strengths in whatever you do because they're a priority in your life. And then the second pillar is values. So what do you value about not only your career, but your life? And is that value also something that you expect from others? And if you are working or previously were working, if you're unemployed, were those values being reciprocated at the job level, at the manager level, or at the company level? Because you need to understand kind of your situation. Because sometimes you can be doing a job that matches your strengths, but if the values are out of alignment, that will cause career unhappiness. The third thing is that you want to know about your, kind of your motivators, 
you know, your skills. People want to do the skills that they, you know, enjoy to do. And if you're doing skills that are not much of interest, that can be very draining for you. So we cover that. And then the last pillar really is just how you are wired. People are wired differently. Some people are very tactile. They like to work with their hands. And then there are other people who want to, you know, do deep thought. It explores eight different kind of ways you're wired and how that works. And so when you go through the program, then you have really great clarity about what works for you because we are all different. So once you have that clarity, then it's much easier to say, okay, then this type of job will be a good fit. And this type of job is not, right, because it doesn't meet what I'm looking for. So it's kind of a way to get all the jumble in your head and get that out on paper. And it makes it very, very clear then in terms of what you really should be doing to be able to thrive. So if you could condense this into like a few beginner steps just for them to get the framework going, what would you recommend? The UMAP program is a specific program where you take assessments. And I'm a career coach certified in that. So I can take people through that journey and help them to understand what the assessment is telling them. So that's part of what I do in the role. But, you know, you can also think about some of these things on your own if you don't want to do the formal process. So part of that would be, what are your strengths? You know, that's a fundamental thing. Or do you know what they are? What are you doing that you feel like you're in the zone, right? What do people tell you that are your strengths? You know, that's sort of a good place to start with that. And then, you know, if you kind of go to values, you know, look through what type of values are important to you. And that can be anything. And then, you know, think about is your work supporting your values or not? You know, so you could kind of go through all of this kind of on your own. For some people, they are very successful doing it and can do that work themselves. Other people need a little bit of help or they would like a little bit of help. And that's where, for me, coaching helps them to get the clarification. Great. So let's say they start the work on their own and they end up going with you or they end up going with you directly. So they've got the career clarity that they want. Now, let's go to the next topic in terms of how to craft a resume cover letter document that would align to the role that you're trying to go for. Because I'm assuming when it comes to career clarity, usually people who want career clarity are not going to go back to what they were doing before. They want to do something a bit different that is more satisfying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how would you recommend someone? Obviously, they would have to find like a specific target role. And then they would look up a bunch of job ads for that specific role so they know what the employers are looking for. So how would you help them strategize in crafting the resume and cover letter that would align with what the employer is looking for for that role? Sure. So yeah, if you got clarity, then you really know what your strengths are, your values are, all that stuff. And then you have found roles, hopefully, that align with that. Otherwise, why would you be applying? Okay. So then 
you need to then explain to the reader of your resume, right, how you have these strengths. What are they and how are they showing in your work? So one of the things that I do and I think is really important is take that job description, what they've given you. That's the best information that you got, right? And I'm a big believer of going through it and marking it up. And I use a highlighter. And what I do is in one color, I'm going to go through what are they wanting you to do? Okay. So very clearly, they're going to have key words in there that describe the actions they want you to take, the things they want you to be involved in. So one color, you're going to put that. The next color, you're going to look at what I call really the keywords. So those are going to be the words that are very concrete. They, you know that these are very important for the role. So sometimes that can be tech skills. It could be industry expertise, knowledge. It can be oftentimes it'll say cross-functional working with whatever department. So you want to notate those departments. Have you ever worked with anyone in those departments? So you want to go through and you want to just highlight all of those because you want to then think about what's my experience working in any of these. Then the third thing is you want to go and you want to highlight soft skills. Now, this is important because as you're crafting the resume, you want it to be apparent that you have this soft skill. And you do that by talking about your achievements and how you've done that. And then it becomes apparent to the reader, yeah, oh yeah, this person is detail-oriented, or this person is organized, or this person is a visionary, or whatever it might be, okay? And then the last thing you want to look at, is there anything in the job description that seems different than you would find in the type of roles that you've looked at? I recently looked at a chief technology officer, and I was really interested because there was a word that showed up twice that isn't something you usually see in a job description. And that word was bold. They were emphasizing they wanted someone who was bold. So you should note that because then when you're crafting your resume, you want to think about, they want somebody who's bold? Well, where in my career, have I been bold? And then you can put that in your resume. So you've got all this information now. It makes it a little bit easier to organize. And then what you're going to go through is your career history. And you're going to try to touch on these elements because they have told you that's where they're going to find value. Okay. So when I say people write a resume about what they want to talk about, is sometimes you want to put on your resume about a job or an accomplishment that is not one of the things that they have said on the job description. And you think that's valuable, but you have to really think, 
do they think it's valuable? And if you can honestly say based on the job description, they don't mention any of this, it doesn't seem relevant, then that's where you need to make a decision usually to not include it because recruiters, it's not helpful for them to put in all this other stuff that is not something that they're going to look at that makes you more qualified for the job. So let's talk about keywords for a sec. How do you know what keywords they're looking for in the job at and how do you like incorporate them? A common practice that most professionals do is they look to see what the keywords might be and then they stuff it into the skill section with the keywords like in there. Uh, so what's mm-hmm. your recommendations there? Well, my recommendation is, first of all, you can never use a keyword in your resume if you don't have any experience with it, first of all. Okay. That's just silly. Okay. Then the second part is when you are thinking about your accomplishments. Okay. So they want you to, let's say, do something with customer experience and that dealing with difficult customers. Let's give that in this example. So you want to think of what is an accomplishment that I have around dealing with difficult customers. Then you kind of think, okay, where do I have that? And then you think, okay, I know what the keywords that they're looking for. Is there keywords that might be associated with that particular example, so to speak? So then you can say, well, as you're writing it, then it makes sense to include the keywords because they're relevant to that story, right? But adding keywords for keywords' sake is not helpful because what will happen is the recruiter wants to understand you using that skill or whatever in context. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You can't say, for example, I'm qualified in highly proficient in Salesforce, but then throughout all the bullet points, I don't see anything about CRM. About Salesforce. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You can't just stuff it in there expecting to like get selected because you put the keyword there. There's no context involved behind it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, in terms of like tailoring it, so a lot of professionals, as you are probably aware, they just want to have one resume and just send it constantly and don't tailor it, right? And then the other side is like, they don't want to spend hours tailoring every single application because they know that there might be a good chance they won't get called back because there's so many applicants. So like, how do you effectively tailor your application when you already know what role you want efficiently without spending hours upon hours tailoring for every job application? So if you have a good idea of what typically is asked for in this particular role that you're looking for, then your resume always should be a good 85 to 90% there. When you initially wrote it, you should have been writing it for the generic position of whatever that is. You shouldn't have to spend hours tailoring a resume. It really should be reviewing that job description, comparing it to what you have written. And then you're doing essentially a reconciliation. You're saying, okay, they're looking for this. Do I have this on the resume? And they're looking for this. Do I have this on the resume? And there may be items that are in this job description that are not on your resume because maybe this employer is looking for something unique or you didn't think was important when you wrote your master resume. And now you're like, wow, yeah, I do have that. So 
that's where it takes just, oh, it doesn't take a lot of time, but it takes doing the reconciliation. Does everything check? If there's anything I can add that they're looking for, then I should do that. So I will give a personal example of this. I was an HR director for many years and HR directors have a ton of responsibilities. Okay. So you could write on every single responsibility and it could be pages of your resume, but you're going to add it based upon what generally HR directors do. It's not going to have every little thing. Well, in my particular case, I applied for a job where probably 30% of the job was about HR compliance. Now, I came from organizations where they were really good on compliance and it was all automatic. I didn't have to do a lot of compliance (laughs) in the role because we had systems. It was all good. But this particular company was very focused on compliance. So what did I have to do on my resume for that employer? I had to go in and I had to add bullets about compliance. Because that was a value to them. And so I had to reorder things. If I remember, I probably took some things out that based on their job description weren't as important. So that's how you tailor it. Because the reader of that resume was obviously going to look for compliance. And so if I didn't have it on the resume, then I maybe would go from a yes to a maybe or potentially to a no. And you don't want that to happen, especially if you have that experience. So that's where the tailoring comes in to make you as competitive as possible, you know, in comparison to anybody else who's applying. The one thing that I've heard, you might have actually said this, I'm not sure, uh, but the main thing when it comes to resume is that recruiters can only evaluate you based on what you write. So for example, if you know a lot about compliance, but in your master resume that you submit, you don't put anything in compliance, they assume that you haven't done any compliance, right? So it's very important to, like you said, if you're applying for a specific role, the master resume that you have should have 85% of what they're looking for. It's up to you to find the 15% to customize it to make you the perfect fit, right? Yeah, I think that's about accurate for that. Yeah. Now that example, the next job I went to, They didn't mention compliance at all (laughs) in their job description. So guess what I did? Even though I had a lot of compliance experience, I took it out because there wasn't a value to them that I did that. So that's why it's not about me and what I want to write. It's about what they wanted, right? So It's about writing for your audience, right? It's about writing for your audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So... Let's say you've tailed the application, you've now been invited into the interview process. So how do you use the job description to prepare effectively for the interview? Obviously, a common thing that people do is they Google top behavioral questions, and then they practice that using a popular format like star format. But how do you leverage the job description to make your answers even more tailored than others that would be interviewing for that job as well? Well, Again, you've got a document that tells you what is going to be the priorities of the job. You know really what they're going to ask you to do, and you know the requirements. So that is really helpful then to think through your experience and 
make sure you have examples of whatever it is they're going to ask you uh, to do. So I always encourage people to think of at least one, if not two, examples that covers every single essential function of the job because you're likely to get questions around that. Now, the other part is when you read it, you can also, if you're very attuned, think about what might be the type of problems that they might face. So, you know, you can think about if they're telling in the job description, you know, as example, being able to deal with conflict. Okay, so they're telling you in that job somewhere you're going to have conflict or potentially have conflict with individuals, right? So you need to then be prepared to talk about the experiences you've had where you have had conflict and using the STAR method, you would set up the S, the situation, right? Then the T, which is the task, could be also, you know, what was expected of you or, you know, kind of more about what was going on. A is the action. What did you actually do to address the conflict? And then don't forget the R, the result. People forget the R. And so we're left hanging as a interviewer, like, well, did it get resolved effectively? What happened here? You know, did it resolve it so it didn't happen again? So always remember the R part so that you can tell the complete story. And then for the interviewer, they'll go, okay, you've dealt with conflict successfully. You've had that as an experience. That is now I can check that off on my list of things that I know that you can do that are transferable here. And that's what you want to do. The interviewer always has a list of things that they're looking for. and You want to successfully check all that off. So at the end, they'll say, check, 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 check. Good. That's the person we want. So in terms of the interview process, obviously there's multiple rounds. There's a recruiter, hiring manager, potentially other people on the team. And usually these people look for different things. Obviously, there is no one specific answer, but like, what's your advice for someone that has to go through a multiple round interview process where it's not just the recruiter and hiring manager, there could be a bunch of people involved in choosing you for the job? Yeah. So that's a little bit harder, right? I always tell my clients to think about why would they bring that person in to the process? So if it is the hiring manager, obviously that's your direct supervisor. They're the one that's going to make the decision. Makes total sense. Are they going to bring in peers for you? Now, why would they bring in peers? Well, likely because you're going to be working with them in some capacity. And so they want to make sure that you could work well, that you have the knowledge, that you have understanding oftentimes of their roles and what they do. And so they want to have, you know, those people, again, sign off that you're okay, because if you can't get along with them or can't work with them, then obviously that likely is going to sabotage your success. So that's why they're going to probably bring in those people. Sometimes 
you have interviews. If you're a people manager, sometimes you even have them with direct reports, people that would report to you. So why would they bring those people in? Well, they might bring those people in because they want for that person to be able to understand who would come in and supervise them. And it's more about understanding that relationship. Can these people work together, et cetera. So that's helpful when you're preparing for an interview to kind of think about what is this person's role in the hiring process? process. And then you can better assess kind of what they're going to ask and why they're going to ask that. So that's a little bit of a help. Now, you know, they can ask anything they want. So they could ask exactly the same thing as the hiring managers. We hope that they're coordinating questions and not doing that. But at least if you understand where they're coming from, that is a help for you to be able to anticipate kind of what you might be asked. And as we said earlier in our conversation, you've helped fill roles from entry, middle, senior. What are some common interview mistakes that people make? The biggest one is they're not prepared. They're not prepared. Most places, they don't expect you to be an expert in that industry or in that business or have expert knowledge of the company. But you should have baseline knowledge. You should know what the company's business is, what they do, how they do it. You should have understanding of kind of how the business is organized. Like how does this role fit into the business? And I have had people when I've asked, tell me what you know about the business, kind of like They don't know what to say, like really have no idea. And then I'm thinking, you're here. You've obviously applied, must have some interest in the role, but you didn't go to the step of really understanding this business. That's a problem to me because as an interviewer, I wanted to make sure the person had the skills to do the job, that they would be good for the team and the culture. But I also wanted to know that they wanted to be there, that that was a job that was good for them. If you're not knowing the basics about the job, I'm not sure that you really want this job. And so that's where that's a big problem. It can't be a general answer either, right? You say, why do you want to work at this company? Oh, I like your products. Oh, I like the brand, right? If you want to try to work for a big company, it's like, oh, I want this because of the brand. Like, it has to be deeper than that, right? Yeah. I mean, that means that you're a good consumer. That's always good, but you know, consuming and working in a company are two different things. So you really have to understand really kind of how it matches to what you want to do, you know, how you want to do it. And that's where career clarity really helps because then it's really easy to answer that question. You know that. You know all that about yourself. You know that. You've done research. You know that about the company and the role. And you can quickly explain how this role is a good match for you and what you can contribute. All right. So I want to end this job search process conversation with the job offer aspect. Again, silence is not necessarily a bad thing after the final interview. You've worked with many individuals when it comes to presenting job offers, right? So 
what goes behind the scenes between final interview and final offer? Like what's in between that? Because people think like, oh, the recruiter didn't get back to me after a week. I, I'm worried maybe I didn't get the job. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes behind the scenes. So could you help my listeners in a way like calm themselves or like, yes, silence is not necessarily a good thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing either. There might be some things working behind the scenes that you don't know about. Yeah, I've probably had everything that has ever happened. <laughs> behind the scenes. I've experienced that. And that's why I never wanted to give people a definite like, oh yeah, we'll get back to you in 48 hours because invariably something would happen and I wouldn't be able to keep that promise. So first of all, you as a candidate often are not given the information of how many people they're interviewing and where they are in the process with interviewing. So you could be the first person being interviewed and it may take them two weeks to get through all the interviews to make a decision. So that's there's that. If they're quick and they've done everything and everybody has been interviewed, then it can be a lot of things. So for me, sometimes it was, I can't get a hold of the hiring manager to figure out like what they want to do. Like they're busy or I didn't know they went on vacation. They didn't tell me they were going on vacation. They went on vacation and I'm like, uh, we I don't have an answer yet. So, of course, that waits. Or they're on travel or, you know, some business issue came up and they're like, got to be on it. Sometimes if you have a group of people that are on the hiring team, then they need to get together to discuss. And sometimes logistics are hard and it takes them a while to get together, you know, or sometimes the hiring manager is just undecided that after everything, you know, this person has all these things great. This person has all these things great. And then they're trying to figure it out, whether they go with one or the other, or if they want to continue the search. Okay. So there could be any sort of background stuff going on. So when I tell people, you know, if you don't hear something in 48 hours, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means that there's so much going on. And remember, hiring managers, this is not their main job. They're doing their main job as they're doing the hiring. So invariably, if something is pressing, that's going to take precedence over making their decision. Not that they won't get to it, but it may not be as fast as you would like it. Or as fast as I liked it as a recruiter too, because frankly, I wanted to get the decisions done fast as well. So we could, you know, get the person in the door and, you know, I could move on to other things. Yeah. And some people might not understand that hiring is a side project, so to speak, because they also have to do their main project, which is like the main responsibilities in that role, right? Right. Exactly. So, you know, some organizations do set up kind of guidelines for decisions that they want to set the standard that they have to be in a certain time frame, etc. And that's great when organizations do that. That's helpful for the process. But many organizations are not that sophisticated in their hiring process. And so it can sometimes just go on for a while before decisions are made. All right, great. Again, I really appreciate your time, Shelly, in sharing your insights on the job search and providing career clarity guidance. So I want to end this episode with one last question for you. So as you're aware, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges that they may face. So 
my question to you is what has been one of your biggest career challenges that you've had in your career? And what did you do to overcome this adversity to get to where you are today? That's a really good question. And I think some of my career challenges was trying to get to doing the work that I really enjoyed doing. I think the last time I checked, I think I had five separate careers <laughs> during you know, the length of my career. And each one was a step to getting to where I want to be. But it was also, you know, sometimes that career was good for that period of my life. But as things changed, sometimes the need changed for me to do something different. So I think for many people, they start on a path and that path might be fine for them at that time. And then they think, oh, something is wrong because now I've been doing this, but now I'm not as happy about doing things that way or following that path. And that's okay. It's fine to pivot. It's fine to make a change. Your career is going to be long, hopefully. And so I think we're finding more and more people who are you know, looking at different ways to use their skills. And I think that's a really good thing to do. But you have to embrace that sometimes change is good. And it can be risky, but it may be the best thing for you. And speaking of which, again, appreciate your time and sharing your insights. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? And with that being said, why don't you tell us more about like why you decided to take this UMAP certification to build up your skill set to help your clients more than how you're helping them right now? Well, finding me is pretty easy. I am on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you can find me at my website, shellypiedmont.com, all those places. And in terms of why I wanted to be UMAP certified, I read the book by Kristen Sherry, and it really spoke to me as a really good process for helping people get that career clarity. I feel very, very strongly about the importance of that. I have had people come to me to write a resume, and as I talk to them, I realize they don't have career clarity. They don't know what they want to do, and I always tell them before a resume is written, you always need to know what your goal is, and please don't tell me your goal is a job. It should be more than just a job, and your resume, your LinkedIn, they're all tools that you can use to support getting to your goal, but you got to know what it is first, or you make your job search so much harder. So spend the time up front, do these exercises, understand yourself, and you will make the whole process so much easier for yourself. And also you'll get better results. Yeah. If you want more results or the results you want, you have to have a plan in place, right? Right. Exactly. All right. Thank you for your time, Shelly. And best of luck in this new endeavor of your career. Well, thank you, Max, for having me on. Loved our conversation. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening and until next time. Oh,